Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Um, not going through all of it, just going through verse 28 or, or verse 31 or so. Um, well, you'll be able to see what the name of it is after I get done with this. Thinking about just one, primarily just one story here, because this is a really weird one. This is a, um, it, it, it's bizarre. And as we go through it, hopefully you'll see why, or you know what the story is already, Matthew 21, uh, or Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Um, but before we quite get to it, just a, a brief review from last time, because that's actually very important for where we're, where we're going and for at least how I understand this, and so at least how I'm going to be talking about it. Last time we were talking about uh, the first part of chapter 15, right, the first 20 verses or so. And the idea is there, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, wow, your disciples aren't washing their hands. That's a violation of this, the uh, modern age CDC concept of stopping the spread of whatever's going on. I, right, it's, it's, here's our tradition. You're violating it. You shouldn't be able to do this. And Jesus says, hmm, let me think about that. Uh, why don't you think about violating God's tradition? Because y'all are really good at doing it. And maybe you shouldn't be. Maybe you need to think about that. Maybe you need to take that a little bit more seriously. And so he gives them that to think about. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines, human commandments. You have nullified the word of God. It doesn't matter what people tell you to do. It doesn't matter what the elders have said. It matters what God says. And so maybe there's a priority to put there. And then in verse 10 of, of chapter 15, he turns to the crowd, kind of dismissing the Pharisees, and he says, hey, it's not about the external, it's about the internal. It's not about your intake, it's about your, your exports. It's what you send out. Um, and so, hey, these people are trying to put laws on you. They're trying to say unwashed hands defiles a person. You know what actually defiles a person? Evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and thefts and false testimony and slander. In verse 19, of course, that's not exhaustive. But here's an example of some things that do defile a person. Unwashed hands, that's a human thing. And, and human rules do not hold the same weight as God's rules do. Um, we'll come back and talk about this. Just a brief mention at the end. Um, just a, a, a thought there. And really a question there. I don't have an answer quite yet. But coming into verse 21, right, that's our, that's our context. Unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. And that's going to be really important coming into this next section. So Matthew 15, let's read starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, verse 21. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt down before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, 
your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Where do I even start with this? Okay, so this is a bizarre situation because you look at it and at first glance, I'm, I don't hold to this, but at first glance, um, it seems very odd, kind of aggressive. Maybe that's not the right word. Um, just, just Jesus ignores this woman and then it, it, he, he calls her out for not being an Israelite, right? He's racist, apparently. Um, calls her a dog, like this flea-ridden mongrel who nobody wants around. And then, right, this, this woman, this Canaanite woman, this, this person is arguing with God and convinces him that she's right. Right, God has an argument and loses to a woman who Jesus tries to just ignore. And so you read this the first time, and you might see that. Maybe you don't, but I certainly see that. And I think, wow, that looks really bad for Jesus. <laughs> That's a really bad um, reputation for him to get, and a really bad story to record about him. So two thoughts on that. Firstly, um, this, is, this is a proof of historicity. Right, the, the idea that the Gospels are more, are, are at least trying to be historically accurate, whatever you think about that, um, I believe they are, and this story is an indication of that. You know, if I was just inventing a, a mythology, if I was inventing some God to follow, I probably wouldn't include a story like this, because it's not very positive, and there are a lot of people who are going to read it and take it at face value and look at it and say, wow, I don't want to follow a God like that, and walk away. Because it's true. And I mean, most of the time growing up in church, when I've heard this, well, uh, all maybe once, because we don't talk about this. Because this is one of the stories, it's on the down low. Nobody wants to acknowledge that it's there. It's just kind of a thing that happened one time, and we don't want to think about it. If the gospel writers, if Matthew was seeking to invent a mythology, if he was inventing Jesus, I would, I would guess that he would not put a story like this in there. So to me, it speaks to its historical value in that Matthew's recording something that actually happened, even though it doesn't necessarily reflect well on Jesus himself. But then I would argue, as, as, as well as that, I'd argue once you start thinking about this, this actually becomes very, very interesting and not a poor reflection on Jesus, as it appears at first, but it's, it's, it's a good reflection on the woman, and those are two different things, right? You, you can point out the good in somebody without pointing out the bad in somebody else. And I don't think this story is negative about Jesus. I don't think it displays him in a bad light. I think it's also just not primarily focused about that. And that's what the story is meant for. And so you can read it as, wow, Jesus is terrible, or you can give him a little bit of credit because of everything he's done and because God is with him, right? He's the son of God. Um, you can look at it from that perspective, and then let's, let's have a look-see at what's in here. So that's the, uh, that's the preamble to this. Whew, very exciting, and we haven't even touched on the text yet. So Jesus comes up to the city Tyre and Sidon. 
Before this, at the at the tail end of chapter 14, he went to Gennesaret, I believe. Not exactly sure where that is, but it seems to be right around the Sea of Galilee. And so if you know the geography of that area, Tyre and Sidon is west and a little bit north. Um, so Jesus goes straight west of the Sea of Galilee or west and a, and a, a bit north up the coast. Um, Tyre and Sidon near the coast of the Mediterranean. And so he goes to that area, which is, by the way, um, Israel's borders... Israel's borders end basically at the top of the Sea of Galilee. So he's out of Israelite territory. And he gets to this region of Tyre and Sidon, these foreign cities, and he comes across a foreigner, not just any foreigner, a Canaanite woman, which if you remember from the, uh, back in the Old Testament, back in the Old Law, Canaanite, Israel was sent to cast Canaan out, right? Israel was sent to get rid of Canaan entirely. And so this idea of a Canaanite woman, well, this is, this is the Jews' national enemy, these are people the Jews don't like. And so you have Jesus' enemy coming from an unclean area and crying out to him. Now, first off, that's not a very positive look. Like, what's, what's that reputation going to sell you on? She's obviously not any good. But she comes to him, and you can tell from her reaction, maybe she is. She says in, in verse 22, "'Have mercy on me, Lord.'" And son of David, right, those titles for Jesus, those, um, those lofty titles, really, um, calling back to uh, verse 1 of Ma- Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, right, the son of David, um, calling back to just, just Jesus' identity as the Lord, as God himself. Okay, maybe this woman's got something, because she's coming from a really good place well not physically but but she's coming from like a really good mental place she's got a good spiritual profile of who jesus is and she's asking him for help she respects him and he doesn't respect her he doesn't answer her a word in verse 23 now notice this is not good or bad right it's just a simple statement of fact he didn't answer her a word he did not say a word to her He didn't say anything nice to her, but he also didn't say anything mean. And his disciples have to ask him to send her away, so obviously he didn't do that, right? He's not outright rejecting her. He's just not outright accepting her either. And when his disciples say, hey, she's irritating us. She's getting on our nerves. Please send her away. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. In verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Does he send her away? No. And in the next verse, even she comes closer. He doesn't send her away. He doesn't cast her out. He just also doesn't fully accept her. And so even even just in that, maybe that starts to unravel our, our notions of Jesus hating this woman and going against her. Just from the fact that she's still around, well, that's kind of merciful on his part. I wonder what he's doing. Because there's obviously something else at work here. If he wanted to send her away, he would have done it. But he didn't, it seems. And so she's still here. And in verse 25, she comes and kneels down before him, which is generally, at least in my mind, associated with worship in the Bible. And even, even nowadays, I mean, with, with God, with the king, and, and I don't really know who else you kneel to, but anytime kneeling is associated, I think of worship. So maybe that's what she's doing here. And he doesn't reject that. He just also doesn't exactly accept it because she's asked for help and is so direct in verse 25 and yet in verse 26 
he says, you know, it, it's, it's not right for me to do that. Take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And, you know, oftentimes uh, we've, I've read that. I've seen that and in a couple different studies, um, like Bible studies that I've been a part of. It's like, wow, Jesus is calling her a dog. That's not very nice. And that's about where that ends, right? But think about what he's doing. Do you think she has children or has seen children before? You think she knows how families work? Because typically, if you have a, a family of humans and you also have a pet, if you can only feed one of those, if you can only feed your kids or your cat, which one are you going to feed? Sorry, cat. Um, but humans are a little bit more important than animals are. We're made in the image of God, and, and, and we're the same species, so I'm going to feed humans before I feed animals. Thank you very much. It isn't right to take what's set aside for children, what's taken for family. It's not right to give that to dogs who aren't even going to appreciate it and who are typically um, the, the scum of society. At least in this era, nobody likes dogs. Are you going to waste the, the, the little amount you have, are you going to waste it on something else? He says, lady, you've seen this before, right? You know what the answer is. You're not going to waste it. If you had your children's bread, if you had the bread for your daughter, are you going to starve her to go feed some dog in the street? No, you're not. And so it, it's in the same way. I can't do that for you. I'm sorry. But it doesn't seem overly aggressive. Not to me. Uh, at least that's how I'm reading it. it. It just It's not right for me to misappropriate where I'm spending these resources. That's what Jesus says. The woman can understand that. Everyone can understand that. Hopefully I've, ex I've, I've explained that idea well. This is, this is something that she would have run across before. And so, okay, maybe she can understand this. And she says, yes, but even the dogs do benefit a little bit. Right? If you have pets in the home, right? You have dogs. Uh, I guess there are some nice dogs instead of just the, the, the mongrels. But hey, if you have dogs inside, they do benefit just a little bit. And so the children get the main portion. The children get most of it. But there's just a, a couple crumbs, and the dogs get those too. And Jesus says, yeah, no, you're right. That's, that's fair enough. And her daughter is healed. Now we see... Uh, a lot of stuff going on here, right? And hopefully hopefully, how I've talked through that has helped to reformat that. I don't think it's Jesus being offensive to her. I don't, not, well, okay, not overly offensive. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, it's not him being aggressive. It's not him just ignoring her for the sake of ignoring her. There seems to be a point behind all of this. Because if I'm, if I'm understanding that Jesus is the Son of God, Right, if that's my guess, then I would guess that he knew what he was doing. <laughs> and it's not like this is a surprise that he got out-argued, and so now he, well, he has to heal her because she out-argued him. It doesn't seem to be something like that. Now, what is it? Well, think back to the previous section. All right, because in the first part, in the first nine verses of this chapter, you had this argument between Jesus and the Pharisees. And when I say argument, they had one line and Jesus just destroyed them. So, um, yeah, it wasn't much of an argument. But they had this discussion 
right? Can you ignore the tradition of the elders? Can you ignore the, that human-made tradition? And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you can. It's, you need to fix yourself with God before you fix yourself with humans. And look, and in verse 10, he turns to the crowd and he says, hey, you're going to get labeled as unclean. If you don't follow these laws, if you don't follow these man-made rules and traditions, you're going to be labeled as unclean. That's okay, because verse 20, eating with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a person. You know what does? It's what's inside you. It's what comes out of you. It's what comes out of your heart and, and displays itself to the world. Your actions defile you. What you think about, what you dwell on and allow yourself to, um, allow yourself to get engaged in, that's what defiles you, not the laws that other people put on you. That's verse 20. So think about this. Jesus is going to an area, Tyre and Sidon, not Israel, right? But Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, so he can't help anyone out there. Of course. This woman is a Canaanite woman, very clearly, and a Canaanite from Tyre and Sidon. So she's not from Israel geographically. She's not from Israel genealogically. She's a Canaanite. There's, there's no way he could help her. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. Obviously, if you don't belong to the house of Israel, you're not worth it. You're not worth the effort. You're not worth the help. You don't deserve it. But when she comes to him... Well, that's showing faith. That's showing obedience. When she comes and kneels before him, that's showing worship. And it's almost like these labels that we've put on her, right? These man-made traditions where the Jews have said the Gentiles are unclean. The Canaanites are, are an evil people that you should never associate with. Yeah, that was true in the Old Testament. But it's... God's changing that. He's bringing the Gentiles in. And so even though that is true, and even though the general rule is don't associate with them, this woman obviously has faith. And so Jesus says, hey, okay, look at the natural process. You wouldn't do this in verse 26. You wouldn't take what was promised to some someone important and throw it to something else. You wouldn't remove provision for your children. And the woman says, yeah. But I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Right? I'm close enough. I'm still family. The dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Sure, I'm not a child. I'm not sitting at the table, but I'm part of the family and I've been adopted in. And Jesus says, Yeah. Because what's God looking for? God's not just looking for the Israelites. He's not just looking for the house of Israel. He's not just looking for his people from before. He's looking for the faithful. And she's displaying that. And so, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. All of the odds are against this woman, right? Everybody, everybody looking at her is saying, oh, she, she's a woman. That society, ugh. Right? Less reliable than men. Okay, we, we can't have anything to do with her. She's a Canaanite. Oh, oh, we, we can't associate with that type of person. She's from Tyre and Sidon. She's not even from Israel. Okay, we can't have anything to do with her. Please send her away. Right? She's crying out after us. Get her out of here. Get her gone. We don't want to deal with her. She's as unclean as those dogs. And the lady says, yeah, not really because I'm trying to follow God. And God accepts that. Do you see that? Do you see that in the story? 
the apostles, as you can tell from verse 12 and verse 15, Jesus was teaching them the principle in, in his words, and they were like, well, we don't understand it. Peter literally says, hey, explain it to us in verse 15. And Jesus says, do you really not understand? Do you really not get it yet? Fine, I'll show you an example. And so Jesus comes out and he, he, he calls this woman a Canaanite, right? He ignores her. He calls her a dog. And at the end of it, he's forced to admit, well, maybe those labels are wrong. Because maybe that's not all there is to a person. And God's looking for faith. God's looking for what's inside of you. God's not looking at just who you look like on the outside. He's not looking at God, uh, this woman being a Canaanite. He's looking at this woman being faithful. That's what stands out to him in verse 28. Your faith is great, and so let it be done for you as you want. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, explaining a little bit about that story. Like I said, weird story. We don't talk about it much because it, it took me... What, I'm on 21 minutes in? Um, it, it took me that long to talk about it and to try and explain some of it. And even then, I don't know if I, do it, if I did it well or clearly. So hopefully that does make sense. It's a lot gentler than you'd think it is. And so her daughter is healed at the end of the story, at the end of verse 28. Hopefully the apostles got it now. Well, we'll see it. Because um, let's look at verses 29 through 31 as well. Matthew 15, verse 29. Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Why do you think that is so emphasized in verse 30, in verse 31? Why, why not they just brought him their sick, right? We've seen that before. They brought those who were sick to him. Why not here? Why does, he ha why does Matthew feel the need to specify the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, right, the mute, and many others? And why does he then need to specify those unable to speak are talking, and the crippled are now restored, and the lame are now walking, and the blind now see? Why does he have to go into all those details? He could have just said, well, he did say in verse 30, he healed them. Why all this emphasis? I think it's kind of the same thing. Right. There's a story in Matthew chapter 9, in the first part of Matthew chapter 9, the paralytic, right? And, and the paralytic is lowered down to Jesus. His, his friends brought him in, and the paralytic's lowered, and Jesus says, wow, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say, no, that can't be, right? That's, that's blasphemy. You can't do that. And um, Jesus says, you know, so that you'll believe that I can do that, I'm going to heal this, this crippledness. I'm going to heal this paralyzed person. He's not going to be paralyzed anymore. And then, boom, suddenly he's not paralyzed anymore. Right? It's that kind of picture because Jesus can heal the spiritual. We just can't see it. So he heals the physical of, of what we can see. So we can tell there's a healing going on. And you see that especially here. Look, look in verse 30. And, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, a little bit more in depth at the end, but look at verse 30. The lame. You can tell when somebody's lame, right? You can tell when somebody's blind. 
you can tell when somebody's crippled when they're on crutches when they're in a wheelchair you can tell when when somebody can't talk to you you start talking to them and that the, you, you just can't communicate you can tell these things and jesus heals all of them and removes all of that let's talk about that in just a minute uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna push that off for just a minute and we'll come back around to it at the very end before while we're wrapping this up let's think about some applications right this is a weird passage to try and imply things from <laughs> it is weird um, don't call people dogs. That's not generally nice. Uh, don't do that, right? And, and so we can make an application like that, or we can look for something a little bit deeper, which is what I'm going to try to do. So I've got two main ones, and before we get to those, um, just a note on verse 20. Um, just just a, a mention on verse 20. Some things defile people. Eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile people. Look, Man-made rules and traditions don't do anything to you. They don't affect your, your morality. They don't, they don't send you to hell, right? If I disapprove of something somebody else is doing, well, cool. That's not the question. The question is whether God disapproves of it or not. And maybe I give advice. Maybe I speak up and I speak my mind and I say, hey, this is how I see it. But at the end of the day, it's up to them and their conscience decides what they do. There's a, question, there, there's a conversation to be had about how your conscience works like that. And there's also a conversation to be had about violation of somebody else's conscience. Um, in verse 20, unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. The question in verse 2 was, hey, what about these unwashed hands? It, why do your disciples not do that? You know, it would be really easy for Jesus to just say, hey, disciples, wash your hands. And they would do it. And everything would be gone, and yet he doesn't. And so there's a question there. Um, should we purposefully violate other people's consciences? Or what's going on there? Because Jesus, in this instance, kind of seems to indicate that it's okay, but then Paul later on kind of seems to indicate that it's not. And so there, there are questions there, and I do have questions. Um, and I, I think I have answers Right? I have, anyway, some answers. I can think through it for myself and, and see what I come to. But that's a, that's a question for later. Right? That's, a, that's a conscience question for later. How does it work for you? How does it work when applied to other people? And then are we allowed, we're not allowed to purposefully violate our own, but are we allowed to purposefully violate others? That's a question for another time. Um, so I'm more than willing to do a discussion on that. Um, I, I did an kind of excursus on fasting and what was the other thing? I don't remember. Um, fasting and something else. I kind of just took an episode and talked about those instead of um, instead of Matthew for a day. I'm willing to do that with this conscience question. I'm totally up for that. Um, I just don't know if you want to hear it or not. So if you do want to hear it, by all means, let me know, and I would love to talk about it for a while. But if you don't, then... Um, don't bother, and I'll just keep on going with the, with the pace we're going at. So, yeah, that's just a mention on that. Um, I didn't really have anywhere else great to mention that. Okay, we come to the two applications that we get, one from each of these little readings that we did. Uh, first one is, I see it in verse 22 especially, just then a Canaanite woman from that region, right, Tyre and Sidon region, ugh, came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Everybody makes his or her own choice. 
you know, I can put a label on this woman and say, wow, she's a Canaanite. She's from that region. She's that kind of person. I don't want to associate with her. I don't want to be around her. I, I don't want to have anything to do with her. I can put that label on her. That is fine. Well, okay, there, 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 are, there are issues with somebody um, doing that, and I'll come to that even in just a minute. I <laughs> slip of the tongue there. Um, I can put that label on her. Okay, fine. Like, if you want to do that, that's done. People put labels on me. People put labels on you. And they expect you to do certain things, and, and they say, oh, this person from this background is going to do such and such. You are more inclined towards X kind of lifestyle. You are probably going to end up with, with whatever life situation. You can stereotype people, right? Somebody can stereotype you. Let me rephrase that. Someone can put labels on you however much they want to. That doesn't make them true. That doesn't make them moral judgments. That doesn't mean, oh, well, now I have to wash my hands because somebody else told me to wash my hands. That's not what that means, right? Unwashed hands doesn't defile a person. It's not about what other people say. It's not about what rules other people try to apply to you. It's what your heart is. It's, it's about the condition of your heart. Do you love God? Do you care? Are you trying to work for him or are you not? That's the question. Not about washing hands. It's not about where you're from. It's not about what life circumstance you're in. That doesn't matter. You have a choice. And the choice is, do I want my heart to be good or do I want it to be evil? Do I want to produce what is good out of me or do I want to produce something that God would not approve of? That's your choice. This woman, disadvantaged, right? A woman in the old world. That's honestly not great. A Tyre and Sidon. Right? Not, not, a, not an Israelite territory. She's a Canaanite. That's not very good as far as lineage goes. And yet because of her choices, despite what I say about her, because of her choices, ultimately like Jesus did, you got to admit, your faith is great. Right? She believes. She's faithful. She's obeying God. She's trying to. And God's going to give her credit for that. Look, everybody makes a choice. And you can let other people's preferences or choices define you, um, or you can let God's define you. I would prefer to live within God's rules instead of trying to jump through a lot of hoops and satisfy human beings who are always fickle and always changeable and will end up not liking you anyway, honestly. Um, which one do you want to hold to? Everybody makes your choice. Make sure you're making it for, for the right purpose and choose God over, over the rules of man. Um, so that's one idea, a little bit rambly. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, second idea, very briefly, hopefully, in verse 30, right, 30 and 31, these crowds coming to him, the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, many others. We would look at them and say, wow, they're disadvantaged, right? Can we stereotype people? Well, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a point which you should. If you see a blind person walking right towards you and it's pretty clear that they're blind, you can't just say, oh, I can't stereotype. I'm just going to let them go and then just walk right into them and then expect them to have moved. Guess what? They're blind. They're not going to be able to see that. And so, yeah, you can stereotype a little bit. right? You can make those assumptions, but I'm not so much interested in that discussion as I am. Um, have you ever seen someone with like a, a little bit of a rougher background and you can see they have ratty or clothes or, or whatever you associate with with um, a, a harder life 
and you say, wow, you know, they probably wouldn't listen to God. I'm, I'm just not going to talk to them about it. Wow, I see you in that physical condition over there, but, uh, but you just look like you, sh- you shouldn't be given a chance. I'm going to label you, and I'm going to say, oh, you're not going to be faithful, and I'm just not going to bother preaching the gospel to you. There are, there are some, maybe some legitimate things that you can suppose about a person just by looking at them, but y'all, it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. That was the message Samuel got all the way back when he went to appoint David. It's not about what man sees, it's about what God sees. That's the message we're getting here when we're looking at the lame and the blind and the crippled, when we're looking at this woman from from Canaan and Tyre and Sidon, and God's saying, stop looking at the exterior, look at the interior. Look what I can do. Because if you're faithful, it doesn't matter. And just like these people in verses 30 and 31, uh, no matter what labels we put on them, we say they're lame, guess what? God makes them walk. And if God can do that physically, he sure can do that spiritually. That was the point all the way back in chapter 9, and I think that still applies here. Can we stereotype people? Eh, maybe in some instances, but woe to us if we decide to let our physical appearances dissuade us from believing in someone's spiritual opportunity. So there's where we'll leave it for now. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Weird story, and and I don't know, a couple of, I guess, weirder applications, more abstract, um, and definitely more sensitive if I'm getting anything about current society right. Can we stereotype people? Well, there's a can't say yes to that anymore because it's 2022 hooray hooray um love modern society that's yeah so um there's 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 questions for you there's stuff for you to think about right because just remember even as as i make fun of what modern society is saying they can say whatever they want to say but um i'm listening to god over them and so hopefully we'll be able to just keep on listening to what he says, to look to what he says and, and follow that. Hopefully this has made sense. It's, it's a, a little bit rambly, I guess. I don't really know. Um, a lot of stuff going on in this passage. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Hopefully it makes sense. I didn't talk about everything, um, but hopefully that makes logical enough sense and, and is good as an explanation. Uh, it's quite possible you'll disagree with that, and that is totally fine. Or maybe you haven't thought about it before, right? I hadn't seen it before, I don't know, before pretty recently. We just didn't talk about it because we don't talk about the story. So um, whether you agree or disagree, I'd love to know what you thought about it um, as an explanation. Maybe I'm just missing obvious things that would shore up my argument. Maybe I made a completely, totally heretical argument, and you want to correct me on that. Either way, let me know. Right. Let me know about that. And about the, the conscience issue, do you want to hear my thoughts on that, at least for whatever those are worth? Uh, if you do, let me know. My email is in the uh, podcast description, like the series description. Um, you can always send something there. That's the most reliable way. You can send something there, and I'll look at it. I think I've also got an Instagram account, if that's of any use to anyone. Um, and you can send me a message there, and I'll look at it, too. But yeah, let's have a conversation because this is much better when studied as not just me talking at a mic for a while, 
but as two people who are willing to sit down and invest a little bit in the scriptures. So um, if, if any of that interests you, if you have questions or comments or complaints or, or whatever it is, let me know. I'd be glad for it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Hopefully that's been helpful, giving you a couple things to think about at least. I know it has for me. Um, yeah, hope it helps. Something good to think on, to, to dwell on, and to think, well, what, what would God say about this, this kind of stuff? So um, there's my thoughts on it for whatever that's worth. And hopefully you enjoyed, hopefully you learned something. I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.